What's up, everybody? So I want to let you know that the Alpha Brain Golden Ticket Sweepstakes are still going on. And that's just a rad opportunity not only to stock up on your Alpha Brain or give Alpha Brain a try. Because if you haven't tried Alpha Brain, it's definitely one of those tools that's different than any stimulant you've had and gets your brain firing in an absolutely different way. And that's what our clinical research has shown, and that's what everybody who's tried it. You know, we've sold over a million bottles of Alpha Brain, and the results are in. It works. It's awesome. So this is a great opportunity, though, because if you get the Golden Ticket Sweepstakes, everybody is a winner, and there's a bunch of cool shit that we're giving away, from kettlebell sets to different other products, to discounts. Every single person is going to be a winner if you go to the golden ticket sweepstakes so check it out on it.com slash golden ticket and then enter the code and fill in the entry form there's going to be a grand prize for one of you which is going to be a trip out here to austin and on hq so you'll be able to come hang at the hq and do all the awesome on it things so definitely check it out go to on it.com slash golden dash ticket and get your 30 count or 90 count bottle of alpha brain Kyle Kingsbury is one of my best friends on the planet Earth. He's also one of the most interesting people I've ever had the chance to get to know. He's the host of the Kyle Kingsbury podcast. He's the director of human optimization here at Onnit, And he's a wealth of knowledge. He just got back from an ayahuasca retreat down in Soltara. So we'll get to talk about that story and his experience there, as well as everything else that Kyle and I like to talk about. Enjoy. Kyle, my brother. My brother. <laughs> <laughs> How are you, man? Phenomenal. Good. Yeah. Hell yeah. Good. Fresh off a recent ayahuasca journey. Let's just go straight there, man. Jump straight I've, into gotten, I've gotten a few of the I've gotten a few of the personal anecdotes, but give us the story, man. New place. It's been a while since you've been with the medicine. You know, this was uh it was a pretty significant journey. Yeah, it's hard to I mean, anyone who's worked with the medicine as yourself, you know that like any one of these you could say that was the most transformative experience of my life or that was the the time when this happened and certainly i've had those it had been two years since we had done it and not necessarily i mean how could i say this i would say it's not by choice because i have felt called to the medicine but you know last year we went to peru and we did wachuma and that was incredibly powerful in its own way it was my first time working with that medicine but i'd really felt called to it you know there's a lot going on in life a lot of changes um also really, really hoping for the birth of our second child. You know, we've been trying for a while now and kind of wondering what the fuck's up? Why is mm -hmm. this taking so long? And um, so yeah, getting down there, we went to Soltara in Costa Rica and, and you know, Dan is a, is a member of FFS with us and somebody we've, we've grown to know, he's a great guy. And I've heard a lot of good things about that place. Dennis McKenna speaks highly of it. Dorian Yates speaks highly of it and was there actually the week after we left, but um. We went down, you sit for four nights. So they have Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday off, then Thursday, Friday. And there's a couple of days of travel and relaxation before and after. So there's a good amount of space around the ceremony. Which is, which is nice with ayahuasca. And so let's just, let's back up for a second in case there's people who don't know what ayahuasca is. And I always get these messages where they spell it with starting with an I and then A-W-O-S-K. <laughs> like Iowa. Yeah, yeah. Iowa. This looks like some kind of Polish word. So ayahuasca is A-Y-A-H-U-A-S-C-A, ayahuasca. And it's a psychedelic brew made from the ayahuasca vine, which contains monoamine oxidase inhibition qualities. It's actually a variation on that. I don't think it's actually a true MAOI when I actually we look at the pharmacology. But anyways, it makes the DMT, which comes from the leaves that they use, like the chacruna leaf or the opayaje or the wambisa, but typically the chacruna leaf, which is full of DMT, it makes it orally active. And when it's orally active, it's subject to the digestive system, which means you have a three, four, five, six hour, sometimes up to eight hour experience with the DMT medicine and all of the other alkaloids and, and things that come with these different plants. And sometimes there's 5-MeO-DMT, sometimes there's uh, bufotenine, sometimes there's other things, depending on the admixtures that are in the brew and depending on what ayahuasca they use, et cetera, you might get a, this whole brew. But it's been used in a medicinal context for several thousand years we believe although the records in the jungle the jungle devours everything including records so it's hard to know exactly <laughs> how long it's been used but it's one of the most transformative healing practices i think that you and i who've explored all the transformative healing practices that i think we've ever found and dmt is probably the most unique of all of the psychedelics and its ability to transport you into like what feels like an otherworldly realm of intelligence 
Would you say that's a fair description? Yeah, I'd of say this? there's absolutely <laughs> no doubt about that. Yeah. You know, so it's uh, it's that's I think why ayahuasca is so big in the zeitgeist right now is because one it's this little bit of a some people use it as a bit of a badge of honor because it's uncomfortable there's typically a purge associated with it and also they call it the vine of death or the vine of souls because it brings you into the shadows of the stuff that you may not want to confront and as you're purging and puking and shitting and yawning and breathing this stuff out it's also coming out through your head it's shifting your perspective allowing you to heal some of these things that would be very difficult to even see let alone heal without the use of a medicine like this. Yeah, and it's funny because, you know, the more I post about this stuff on my own podcast, you have this great debate between meditators and medicators, right? So, oh, you can get that through meditation. It's funny because for most people that are working with plant medicines, I think at some point in time, you, if even if you didn't have it to begin with, you adopt some form of meditation, right? Yeah. Paul Check, yourself, myself, guys that have been doing this for some time, you realize that all these tools lead us to a good place. But, I mean nothing forces me to deal with my shit the way ayahuasca does mm. and, it, and i'd almost forgot how difficult it is you know it was like <laughs> yeah oh yeah man because as you know like gabramante says like every time he drinks he's a little bit nervous and i certainly had that but it wasn't nervousness about nausea or the challenge of what may come up for me it was like because i had been missing ayahuasca for so long i was really excited to do it and really just uh i wanted it you know, I wanted mm. it. There was a desire to work with that medicine again. And that there was a bit of forgetfulness around the challenge associated with it because I had no fucking idea. It was like, oh my God, how could I forget? And um, what was cool, you know, I, and to give a couple more background pieces to Soltara, they work with Shipibo shaman that are flown in. Uh, Shipibo for, I guess, I guess a very basic way of putting it is they would be considered, you know, very high masters in the art of working with ayahuasca. I think they're the longest medicine carriers of the tradition in existence, right? Like yeah. that particular tribe, I guess you could call it a tribe, but those, that people, you know, they've carried the medicine the longest. So like those are the deepest roots into the ayahuasca tradition. Yeah, and they certainly know, I mean, they certainly know what they're doing. You know, we worked with, with uh, a couple people, a husband and wife who had been practicing for 30 plus years. I mean, they're in their 50s. And just a... There was a, you know, anytime you meet somebody like a Paul Selig or, or a Ted Decker, there's like this feel around them, even Parangi, right? Like you mm -hmm. have this feel like, oh shit, like they're, they're on a different level, you know, and you can feel that. And then it's not that they carry themselves in that way. You know, if you just, as you've discussed before, the guy who's telling you all the amazing visions you're going to have and all this shit, that's usually not the guy that's serving the best medicine or knows yeah. what the fuck they're doing. The guy who's laughing and you know, super down to earth. That's, that's what we had. You know, the spiritual master by the sound of their laughter. You I know, love it. That's, uh, <laughs> that's like the real, the real way that you can tell. Yeah. If so, it's all, if it's all robes and frowns, like get the fuck out of there. <laughs> like you got power amulets. Fucking game fucking, yeah. Shame. Yeah, yeah. Shame. Because <laughs> <laughs> you walk to take the cup. Shame. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> it's not what you're looking for. So, you know, and, and they gave this orientation. It was three hours long and there was a part of me that was like fuck i gotta sit through a fucking orientation this was my 23rd through 26th times drinking with the medicine and by no means do i consider myself an expert you know dennis mckenna's done this hundreds of times and he says he feels like an infant in ayahuasca's arms mm -hmm. that would make me a fucking newborn or still in the womb by mm -hmm. comparison right and so i don't have delusions of grandeur about you know how many ceremonies i had that i'm not going to learn more i know i'm going to learn more and i know there's more to learn but the orientation there still kind of was this I don't know if this if this is going to be a waste of my time and i was blown the fuck away the facilitators have been working for seven to ten years with the medicine uh they translate from the shipibo maestros from uh spanish to english and they in their own right could be serving stateside like they are dialed the fuck in and they talk they spoke for three hours i was learning shit for the first time from them and the other things that i knew they were worded in a way that had i learned that because there's a lot of first timers here I realized very quickly if i had known that in my first experiences i, I all my experiences would have been better because i would have learned how to work with the medicine more yeah. appropriately right and and that can be extrapolated out to psilocybin or anything you do on your own once you know how to work with the medicine appropriately it stretches into all avenues of that work so i was really blown away by the care taken the integration i mean for 12 weeks after now we're receiving emails on how to integrate the process and the healing of it but um I was blown away by it. So let's jump right in. We had four ceremonies. 
there was an arc to the ceremony. So the first one was kind of an introductory dose, about half of a shot glass. And well, you first did the vomitivo, though. We did the vomitivo. That's right. And that was my first time with vomitivo. I'd heard about it by, from our boy, Mike Salemi. Um, vomitivo can be done with many different plant medicines. It can be done with tobacco or different drinks. This was done with a lemongrass drink, which tasted amazing. But you drink until you purge. Yeah, everything but Jose Cuervo. Don't, <laughs> we've all done that vomitivo. That has a cost. That has you know, a price. It's funny you mentioned Cuervo because it is. It was. It felt a lot like college drinking. <laughs> like we're we're all out there. It's the first thing we did on on the first day. So the first evening we were going to drink ayahuasca. We had this first thing in the morning, and we're all lined up against the wall uh, over this fence, and we have to drink this tea until we throw up. And you're encouraged to drink as fast and as much as humanly possible. And you're done, you're going in groups. So the people on the sidelines are encouraging you. They're telling you, go, go, So it's go. like a hazing. It's yeah. like, it's like, <laughs> it's like, like, like drink fraternity four. hazing. You're doing it. You're doing it. You know? <laughs> and then, you know, we, you drink until like the pressure in your stomach fucking hurt. Like you were that full of fluid. And then all of a sudden, blah, just the deepest purge. And one of the things that I realized during that experience was, number one, it's, it's cleansing, right? It's done. It's done for multiple reasons. And for sure, Cleansing the body, getting it used to purging, very important before you start working with the medicine. But two is just this, the social constructs we have around puking in front of other people we don't know, farting, purging in any way, crying, those kind of things. It breaks down some of those walls. So you're going to puke in front of people no matter what in the fucking broad daylight. That's going to make it a little easier when you go into ceremony at night sure. and you're in darkness and you're around people and you can hear a fucking pin drop 30 yards away from you, right? Yeah. So. That was really cool. It was fun. It was entertaining. And, and definitely, um, I felt clean after. I had yeah. an energy. You know, I had a little buzz going through me. And certainly with the excitement of drinking that night, it felt really good. I, I had about a half a cup the first night. And these are shot glasses. So it was very strong medicine. You know, I've had um, times where I drank a considerably larger amount than that. Well, it just depends on how far they reduce it, right? Exactly. It's like the difference between it's a distillation. Like, yeah. yeah. What's like, what's that, uh, like you can reduce like, um, vinegar into like another concentrated like a, like a glaze like a mm. demi glaze you know what I mean like yeah. vinegar is of one strength and the demi glaze is like another strength where you like have to drizzle it. it's like molasses like a red wine reduction a red wine yeah. yeah exactly all these reductions where you're just boiling it down to an even smaller smaller amount and and really it varies depending on which place you do it like at Spirit Quest you know do you have a bigger cup it's that traditional kind of bigger bowl mm -hmm. that you're drinking and then at blue morpho it was a little paper one ounce i mean a plastic one ounce shot glass that you were basing and it was yeah thick. this was, a was like yeah, fucking yep. chew it yep. you know? <laughs> and so you both of them are not one is stronger than the other because it's more it's just what the distillation is how long do they boil it mm -hmm. yeah it certainly certainly was the strongest i've ever worked with so you know i had a lot of intentions and i'll jump into those but one of the things that, that i figured out as i work with ayahuasca is if it's multiple nights, ayahuasca will kind of sort out what I'm going to work on and when. And I say that because I'll, I'll work with tobacco as well. It's used in ceremony. So I'll smoke a mapacho and I'll realize, oh, tonight's about my family. It's not about work. It's not about mm -hmm. healing. It's just about family. And then the next day, pre-ceremony, I'll smoke the mapacho. Oh, tonight's all about healing. It's not about work. It's not about family, right? And so it kind of organizes it for me. But on day one, they had let us know, like, you're going to have a smaller amount the curanderos are going to walk around the room and, and look at everyone's energy and sync that up with your intention. And they'll decide the Icaros for you there. And so this is to kind of gauge where you're at. Some people, a lot of first timers went balls deep on that first half cup. For me, it was just physical and I could feel it like working through my body. I was doing a lot of yoga laying there. No nausea, felt great. But then when I'd get up to go urinate, I was like drunk on the medicine. I could barely walk. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh shit, it really is working. Even though there's no visions here. Um, I could feel it working through my body and kind of reintegrating with the medicine. Uh, night two, you know, the medicine builds. That's one of the cool things about ayahuasca is that it's the only psychedelic, to my knowledge, that the more often you take it, the stronger it gets. Yep. So night two, we had, um, you know, family just came up for me and the birth of this next child and so much wrapped around that came with the trust and the knowing. And this is something that's been worked on time and time again, whether we were doing Wachuma a year ago, that trust and knowing was there, but also just this divine timing of when things happen, you know, like stop trying to wrap my head around it. Same shit Paul Selig told us, you know, like there's no need to plan. There's no need to, to worry about 
sperm count or any of these things, like all that's in order. I have that already. We've already given birth to bear, you know, like we are healthy enough. And, um, I had some beautiful visions around that, you know, absolutely incredible. But in, the, in those experiences, just realizing like it is happening at the right time. And that really reset me because that of, of all the things I was thinking about, um, and all the intentions that I had, I'd probably prioritize that as number one, you know, but what was curious to me in this second ceremony was it felt like the fucking kitchen sink was being thrown at me. Like everything was coming lightning speed. Uh, it was very hard to sort things. I could, I could kind of zoom in on one thing and say, Oh, okay, that's, that's work. Or I zoom in on, Oh, okay, that's wolf. And don't worry about that. It's okay. And, and it was, it was so fast paced. The only time I would have linear singular visions was when the maestros would sing an Icaros to me directly. And in that experience, I could get a lot of downloads, but I remember talking to them on the day off on Wednesday about it and saying like, Hey, uh, you know, I had a couple of reasons there. One was physical and one was to, to talk about the previous night. And I was like, I, it just came at me so fucking fast. Like, is there any way to, to ask for that, to have the intention of like linear information, one vision at a time, not the whole kitchen sink. And they just started laughing and they said, sometimes that happens to us. And we mm. forget who gets what Icaro, you know, like it's just, it's mm. a part of working with the medicine. So I learned something new that day. I learned that's one last thing I can try to control, you know, mm. like, let me surrender to that and not really focus on trying to get it the exact way that I want it, but just still being able to pull out and extrapolate the things as they come to me. And that was cool to kind of rest in that space. Um, yeah. Cause the, the way that the mind works, like we want to, there's almost like a materialism to a psychedelic experience that we can get caught in like what are the downloads like i want to fill this journal page i want to have these nuggets <laughs> it's like you're collecting pearls and putting them in your treasure chest and i've certainly had that mindset like okay what are the pearls that i'm and i'll obsess over that i'll get one thing and i'll be like well do i pull out my recorder and do i record this now or am i going to trust that i remember it and i'll spend a bunch of time like making sure i remember it you know not really trusting that it, it got embodied and it's inside yeah. me and that whatever's happening is happening in the way it should. And I'll remember what I need to remember. And the you second know. you do that, the second you go outward with the pen and the pad or the recorder, you're no longer receiving information. Right. You put a pause. You put a pause yeah. on all of the information that you could get. Yeah. So I think that was, that was super valuable for me. Kyle and I are obviously two people who give a shit about what we put in our body. We also love to cook. We also love to care about the meals that we're preparing and have people that care about the meals they're preparing for us, particularly in Kyle's case, because his wife Natasha is a badass in the kitchen. And we're launching a new product through Onnit called the Compound Cooking Oil. And really the idea behind this is to get four high smoke point oils, so avocado oil, coconut oil, olive oil, and sesame oil in one formula so that you can get all of the benefits of these different oils, an amazing flavor, use them to cook, use them as a drizzle, use them in salad dressings. And then we also got a spicy version, which is awesome for putting on top of things. And great if you're supporting a keto lifestyle, like Kyle is currently, and I'm ambitioning to do myself to go full keto experiment with that for a little while. But the compound cooking oils and the spicy cooking oils, just great products to have, great to have around the kitchen. And I'm really proud to release those. So go to onnit.com slash Aubrey. You'll save 10% on the compound cooking oils. Onnit.com slash Aubrey. Thanks, fam. The guys that were facilitators had seen me on The Ultimate Fighter and they were trying not to be fanboys, but they kind of were asking me, I'm like, dude, let's fucking, we'll chat about fighting. That's all good. And so mm. we got to know each other and I was kind of complaining about my neck pain from jiu-jitsu and football and just having people hang on my fucking neck for so long it always gets kinked up when i have to sit for a while and they said dude bring that up to the maestros they can they can do some physical healing for you so i went in on the day off and uh she, you know olga was the lady's name she did some manual work on me with some different medicines from the amazon and it really loosened up and you know the first cup on the third night i really had only intended was this healing so like let's let's heal the physical and for a large portion of that, it was all physical. It's all I thought about. And I was doing yoga and stretching and it felt really cool, but I also wasn't going very deep. And I was like, maybe I was just kind of taking it easy. I mean, this was a full cup, the same as I had started with on the second night. I had about a cup and a half the second night. And uh, so night three, I have the full cup and I don't blast off. Nothing's coming at me quickly. Not much is coming at me in general. And so I'm kind of, I sit up and I have a mapacho and I start thinking about that, like, hmm, where, where is this going? And I thought of work and I was like, no, that, that'll happen tomorrow. I was like, well, 
I need a second cup. And so I, I shine the light and I ask them, is it too late for the second cup? And they said, yeah, we stopped serving, but we can make an exception. So they brought me up and this looked like a microdose by all <laughs> by my, the, what I, what I saw them pour was very small. It was maybe mm. a quarter of a cup. And as I took that cup, I realized let's open this up now to all healing, mental, emotional, and specifically if there's anything left from my childhood, because uh, I've done a fair amount of work on my childhood in, in previous ceremonies with ayahuasca and in psilocybin ceremonies. So I just set that intention. Like if there's anything left from my childhood, let's work on that. Let's let go of it and just clean that out. And I went back to lay down on my mat. Still felt fine. Nothing was really coming up for me. Ceremony ended. Everyone got up and left. Walked back to the room, talked to Tosh, talked to Christian, talked to Caitlin. And when I laid down to go to bed, it was fucking blast off. Mm-hmm. And that's where the hardest night of my life happened. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> fucking absolutely uh, the most challenging experience I've ever had with psychedelics by far. I relived, in my, in my mind, it felt like every hard memory I've ever had in my childhood. And that couldn't have been all of them, but it mm. certainly felt like fucking every one of them. And the ironic and funny thing, the humorous part of ayahuasca was it was coming in linear and one at a time with space. Oh, you thing. wanted one at a time? <laughs> you get every memory on its own so you can maximize <laughs> yeah. the suffering of all of these things as they pour over you. Yeah. And you know, people, I mean, myself included, I've had visions where I was like, it was like I was watching a movie, you know, it's like I'm watching on a screen or maybe I'm the third person in the room and I'm outside my body and I can see the interaction happening from afar and it's easier. It's more palpable. Like I can see it and kind of see from a new angle, some different perspective, but I'm also removed from the feeling and the sensation that happened in that experience. This was reliving it. Like it was the fucking first time. And the fear I felt to my father was like, it was fucking brand new. Like I was seven years old experiencing that fear for the first time. And it was so fucking hard. Like I begged for mercy. I remember saying like, please stop, please stop. I uh, like just, I've seen enough. I get it. There's more to work on. Um, Let's do this on a different night. I can pick up where we left off tomorrow. I need to sleep. Like it was fucking from one, from 1 a.m. until 7 a.m. This went on and I was so nauseated. Mind you, I'm on the top bunk of a bed. So I'm so nauseous, I have to crawl down and run to the bathroom to try to puke. I can't purge, so I shit my brains out, crawl back up in bed and lay down. And I'm, I mean, the most physically hard night and the most mentally, emotionally hard night by far. And it never ended. It just kept going. And uh, I'll give some specifics here because <laughs> people wonder shit. My dad was the oldest of five kids and his parents were the hardest on him. And so I was the oldest of two kids and my dad was the hardest on me. And I remember when I was seven and my sister was six, we were in our room, we shared a room and she, we were arguing about something and she basically told me, I can get you in trouble with dad without you doing anything. Like you don't actually have to do something wrong, but I can fucking call him in here and get you in trouble. And I was like, fuck you, you can't do that. So of course she's like, dad. And my dad comes running and is like, what? He's like, Kyle did this to me and fucking, and he immediately Whoa. sides with her. And I was fucking, I was so enraged and I could feel this all again. Like my blood was fucking boiling. Whoa. And so my dad's like, give her a hug right now. And so I look at her and she smirks because he can't see behind my head. And I see the smirk and I fucking look on the floor and I find a thumbtack and I go to give her a hug and I jam it into her ass as hard as I can while I'm hugging her. And for a brief moment, I feel complete vindication. Like, <laughs> fuck you. You know, fuck you. And wow. I toss it underneath the bed. And she immediately, she's like, owie. And she looks up and, and my dad just immediately just loses. He's like, what did you do? And he grabs me and picks me up and he's shaking me. And he's like, what the fuck did you do? And uh, she's like, he poked me. He poked me. And he's, he's like, you want me to grab that thing and poke you with it? And I thought for sure. He's going to find it and poke me with it. Now, he never, he never did anything like that. But I thought in that moment, yeah, this is how it's going down. And to re-experience that in its fullness, like it was fucking brand new. Like I, I was, I was fucking shook. Like I yeah, was fucked up, sure. you know, and like many, many mer- memories like that. One at a time from stretching from five years old to fucking 15, you know, with my mom included, 
um, just, just, it fucking left me lifeless in many ways. And I remember like the sun, I'm watching the sunrise and I'm thinking of how difficult this is. And I'm finally, I finally get the wherewithal to say, I'm not going to sleep tonight. That's fine. And that trickles into it's okay. And the second it trickles into it's okay. I think about my dad and I think about how hard his life was. You know, my granddad was a military guy who had my dad when he was 18. Nana was 17 years old and they were fucking incredibly hard on him, harder on him than he was on me. And as I begin to feel that I begin to have gratitude for him. And I have a great relationship with my father now. Like we're, I love my dad. We've done ayahuasca together. We've, mm -hmm. we've, we've done some really good work together. Penis and mushrooms. We've had some amazing experiences that have bridged and healed a lot of this, but it was still there. That was the thing that was crazy to me was when this came up, my 25th ceremony and how to the degree that it came up, you know, and that's something that I realized too, is like, oh, I'm getting this now because I'm ready for it. Yeah. You can handle it now before I wasn't ready. You know, like this, this time now is it's, it's the time where I'm in a space that I can handle it. And as I had gratitude for that, I was like, okay. And just totally surrendered to it. And then I thought a bear and I thought I just had so much fucking love for him. And I saw that all this generational shit that's gone on way past before my granddad, way before my great grandfather, way before all of them of treating each other this way, it breaks with him. That'll never happen again. It breaks with bear and like, what a fucking cool thing to have. And, uh, you know, if there is an afterlife and there are souls waiting and looking at us and watching down, they're fucking got shit eating grins on their face, looking at that, knowing it breaks now and knowing how awesome bear's going to have it. And he'll do such a better job with his children than I do with him, but still that ends with him. And as I saw that, I saw this fucking beautiful luminescent butterfly just floating through the Amazon. And I saw that as an aspect of myself going through this, this big change, this big shift. And then understanding that the times where we shed our skin as a snake or turn into the butterfly, it's not all fun. It's not great. It's not fucking, you know, it's not butterflies and rainbows, right? Maybe that's at the end, but it fucking sucks. Sometimes it's really hard. And that to me was one of the most powerful experiences I've ever had in my life by far, for yeah. sure. The most challenging and for sure the most reward. And uh, it's interesting that, you know, a lot of times in these journeys, you'll have the perspective come pretty quick that like that, that shift of perspective, but sometimes not sometimes. And in your case, you really had to relive it without the relief of that perspective shift. That perspective shift didn't come until you triggered the perspective shift by what was somewhat a trivial release of resistance towards the fact that you weren't going to sleep, which was in some way a little bit of an act of surrender, a little bit of an act of acceptance, accepting like, all right. And then that was the first thing that cast the first stone towards the acceptance of the whole thing, which then gave you the realization of the linear pattern of generational trauma that was passed on, that was stopped and allowed you to actually bring the whole thing together. But that was that was a hell of a way to teach you a lesson. And that's the way ayahuasca rolls. It's also the way a boga rolls when it has that much time. You know, it has all the time to really tell, you know, really give you the best lesson possible. It's like a great storyteller that knows how to use the pauses and knows how to like bring you along for the ride so that they can deliver, you know, the the payload of that of that lesson. And that's one of the benefits of doing a, a ceremony like ayahuasca where it has this kind of divine intelligence where it's like, no, the longer he sits with this, the more he actually feels it. When he goes to the place where he can accept and release it, the more powerful it'll be. And like, what a crazy wisdom that is to know that, to know like how to deliver a message that's going to suck, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but it's going to deliver the maximum result. Yeah, no doubt. Just, just incredible. So we drink one more night and you know, what's funny is I guess it's not funny. They understood, you know, like that even the, the facilitators knew how hard it was for everyone on that third night. <clears throat> and so they said, Hey, if your third night was as rough as we thought it was tonight, you can scale back. 
and the medicine's still going to be potent because of the fact that you're you're on your fourth ceremony um, but definitely have less if if you haven't um, already thought of that because you can still work with this medicine but we want some level of rest we don't want you to push it as hard as you did on nights two and three and that detailed exactly where I was at so I, I actually kind of smiled and I thought all right cool you know, that's one of the things they had talked about, too, in the orientation was sometimes it's not visionary. Even if there's DMT in there, for some reason, either your own neurochemistry or maybe you have more MAO in your body, so not enough is getting to cross the blood-brain barrier. But you don't always have visions on Aya. And, um, but you can still work with the medicine. It's still alive in you. And so you can still talk to it as if it's a person or a being. You can ask questions and receive answers, things like that. And so I thought, all right, cool, I'm going to have half of what I had. I'll have what I had on the first night, just a half cup. And we'll see uh, if, if that, that holds true. Because up until this point, I, anytime I'd worked with the medicine, it's either like I break through on multiple doses and I can have all my questions answered. Or I just think like, no, nah, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to get there tonight. That yeah. kind of thing. And so yeah. I had the half cup and pretty much without any without any real resistance uh just got a flood of downloads regarding work and the the podcast changing my name and sponsorship and knowing how the finances are going to be set up and it just fucking laid it all out so uh systematically that it was like oh shit there is nothing to worry about here and then of course then the laughter ensues when it's like how much fucking time did i waste mm. in panic mode <laughs> but all i had to do is realize that it's it's, it always works out. It always works out. It always has. It always will. I'm always provided for. And to, to rest in that trust in the unknown. That's all it is. And at every fucking turn, there's something that's unknown. And I would like to believe that I usually handle that like the mountain where I can be like, ah, cool. I'm unwavering. There's nothing that's going to phase me. And then at the same time, if it's something really new or, or you know, something really different, then... I usually freak the fuck out like every other person and have to yeah. sort through that shit, you know? It's interesting, like, we look at the unknown and we call it the unknown, and some part of it, like the details of the how, are somewhat uh, somewhat obscured from our vision. We can't always plan everything. But then there's some part of it that is known, and what is known, actually, if you go into your knowing, like your soul's knowing, your consciousness is knowing, your awareness is knowing, you do know that it's going to work out. And that's what Alaska reminds you of. Like, so even though it's unknown, we kind of know. We know, like, I know this is going to work out. I know this is going to happen for me, not to me. I know these things. But if we get lost in the how, how's this going to happen? How's this, uh, you know, like the, the, it's almost like the brain can't settle down. You know, even though the heart can settle down, but the brain can't without actually filling in all the details. And part of that is useful because it's helping you sort out the details. But if we could actually get our perspective and our like point of view, our vantage point from the knowing that's in our heart to know that it's all going to work out and then just kind of sort through those mental, you know, the, the puzzle, the chess game of how it's actually going to work, just sort through that without this fear present that's going to cause us to go into these emotional turmoils and going to fill our cells with cortisol and all the things that happens. I think that's one of the biggest, you know, tools and tricks we can all learn from this is to just rest in our knowing the ultimate knowing and then explore what is yet to be determined you know with a certain kind of um removal from the from the turmoil that it can cause yeah yeah it, you know i was reminded of this uh this post from dr joe dispenza that um i think gunter sent to us mm -hmm. and it's talking about how to properly use surrender and intention so if you're if you're overdoing the surrender you're probably not doing shit you're lazy if you're overdoing the intention you're like i was you're fucking wrapped around the outcome the how it's going to happen the when it's going to happen and you're very controlling and how shit comes to fruition but the balance between the two rests in setting your intention knowing what you want to come from uh into manifestation and then surrendering the how and the when you don't need to figure that out and just trusting that it will happen at its right time so much of that applied in its to, right way in its right way exactly and all of that applied to every single intention i had there it applied to work it applied to the birth of our next child it applied to my own healing right like why didn't i get that in my first 24 ceremonies well it happened exactly as it should exactly when it should and i think that 
that was a critical piece for me to remember going forward is I can set an intention, I can work towards that intention, and I can act as if that's already happened. I can live in that space, as Joe talks about in uh, Becoming Supernatural, to, to, to live as if it already has happened and to be in that beaming love and surrender to how and when and not fucking worry about the shit that's out of my own control. Yeah. Yeah, that's what, that's what really creates from the field of that kind of quantum possibility where like things can be brought into being or not brought into being but if you're already in the place where they are brought into being you're so much more likely to actually take the steps and be in the right accord to actually bring it into being you know like and not only that you have the benefit of living a life where you're in the in the best possible outcome already you know like that's uh that's i think one of the most powerful tools that's out there that's actually kind of challenging so i, I recently did this past week, I did a gratitude practice <clears throat> that I learned. Um, I learned from Maya, who's you know I'm sure will be talked about more on this podcast at some point. But she's an incredible soul, and I posted about her uh, seven years of gratitude practice that she's practiced. And so I did this, and I and what she had me do was write down ten things, and I, and I encourage everybody to try this as well. Write down ten things that you're grateful for that haven't happened yet. So you write down 10 things that you're grateful for that haven't happened yet. And then you go through those things, write them down, and then you go through each one and you put yourself in the state as if they've actually happened. How does it feel like when that, what does it feel like when that happened? Like feel what it feels like when that happens. Who do you tell? Who are, who are you texting? What are you texting them? What are the, what are the, what's the first call when that thing happens? Like what's the, What's the thing? Do you have a dinner where you meet your friends and you're telling about it? Like, go to that dinner and tell all your friends about this thing that happened. Like, how are you celebrating it? How are you enjoying it? How does it? And like, going through each one is really interesting, not only because it puts you in that state, but you'll find out where you have resistance to these different things. Like, some of them are really hard. And it's like, why is this one really hard? Why is it hard for me to even go to this imaginary place where it happened and say it? And then you start to ask yourself why. Well, maybe I'm afraid of that. Maybe I want it too much. And it's, I'm afraid that if I actually accept that that might be a possibility, then I'll be too disappointed if it doesn't happen. So I'm afraid to even acknowledge it, which means you're afraid to even work towards it, which means it's not going to fucking happen. So it's like you get to start the practice of like, all right, where do I need to really work? Maybe you don't feel like you deserve it. Or maybe, you know, for me, like some of the things on there were too good, to, almost like too good to be true. Like if I accepted the fact that that might happen, if it didn't happen, I would be too, uh, in my mind, I felt like I would be too devastated. So I was like, ah, you know, I don't want to put myself there because I don't want to give it the possibility of actually happening. But then it, it won't happen. So you got to like stick with it and just keep working to live that reality so that you can actually bring that reality about, you know, like that's, and that's exactly what Dispenza is talking about. It's exactly what they talk about when Jesus is talking about praying, pray as if it has already been done. I don't pray like I please, I hope that this happens. No, like pray like, thank you. Like a prayer should start with thank you. If it's a good prayer, thank you for allowing this to happen. That's what's going to actually cause the result that you're looking for and plus the bonus of you being in a fucking much better mental place yeah always it's all that time in between that you live at your highest vibration yeah exactly not in fear but in love yeah and that's the and that's the fucking that's the final tally that's the score how much time did we live presently not how much money did we put in our bank account or how many things did we do or how many thrills did we chase like how much did we live presently how much did we enjoy this life and that's, you know, looking, looking back, yeah, I'm grateful for all of the things that have happened to me. I'm grateful for all the things I've done. But, like, I have not lived presently very well. I mean, I've done the best <laughs> I could. But, like, I'm not getting an A-plus on this first half of my life. So that's why in some of my speeches and some of the things, like, I'm setting the intention to live the second half of my life you know, the most, to live it the most, to live the most presently, to enjoy the second half of my life the most. And that doesn't mean that it's more fucking yacht parties or more, you know, accomplishments or more businesses built or more. No, it's not that. It's just like being present in the moment. You know, like I can walk that little stretch of grass 
out in front of the office here and I could watch it. I can walk it just thinking about all my stresses and all my troubles, this relationship challenge, this business challenge, this fucking thing, this health challenge, this thing. Or I can just walk along the grass and like hear the birds, see the trees and be present in that. And then that little stretch of grass is heaven instead of hell. Like that's a choice. And one is just ruminating on all of these things. Sometimes maybe I'll figure something out, but usually not. Usually I'm fucking stuck in the same spot anyways. Or I can just be present and then allow those things to come into knowing when they're ready to come into knowing. 100%, brother. <laughs> that's, it's, there's so much we're still fucking learning. You know what I mean? Like this, this path to like learning how to live, the operating manual on how to live, I mean, we really, as a human society and a human race, we really kind of miss the mark in teaching young souls like a way to live, to really live. You know, we, we train them to chase these shiny objects and to chase these validations and to chase these things that support the ego. But these thrills have hangovers, you know, because when you're not in the thrill, you're in a preference of being in that and you're chasing... This whole even thing. if you're fucking in the thrill you're, you're concerned about when will it end when will it end gonna have yeah. more of this thrill can yeah. it go a little deeper yeah 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 i think there's there's there really is so much there i you know obviously there's huge issues with trying to tackle the the pace of how society is changing you know if you look in the past you could have you know civilizations like ancient Greece, where they really valued philosophy and the art of living. You had Marcus Aurelius and people like that, like just a different way to live and, and really preaching that. Even, um, you know, Lao Tzu and different people like that, that really taught you how to live. But you really have to, to want to figure that shit out now because we have the, in, the constant influx and in-stream of media and everything coming at us. And um, I think figuring out how we carve back space for ourselves is so important. And that's one of the reasons I really love how they, they space it out at Soltara. You know, I've, yeah. I've done ceremony stateside and I went to fucking work the next day after the ceremony. Like, how is that creating space? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. how am I going to fucking integrate what I've worked on and all the downloads that I've gotten while I'm at work and dealing with people? And especially when I was working at the titty bar, dealing with drunks and people grabbing ass that need to be thrown out and shit like that. You know, it's just not, it's, you know, I think if you can set aside the time and the finances to do it that way, uh, whether it's Sultara or going to the Amazon itself, I think that's, that's the best way to do it, in my opinion. So you've just heard Kyle talk about his amazing experience at Sultara, and if you're interested, definitely check that out. Or if you'd like to go somewhere where I have personal experience, you can enjoy the legacy of Don Howard at Spirit Quest Sanctuary. It's still being run by Don Robert, Doña Eliana. These are the Icaros that I play for my own personal journeys and also the place that I can recommend from deep, deep experience. So check that out at biopark.org. It's being run currently by one of the best humans on the planet as well, a guy named Parker, who will handle all of your accommodations and all the communication to make sure that you guys are super comfortable getting down there to Peru and experiencing medicine at the highest level. And once again, please respond only to a true calling. Do your research, make sure it's right for you. I have no affiliation other than my own deep appreciation and gratitude for Spirit Quest Sanctuary. Right now we have the, the radical ability to never be bored. Like, the, like never have time. I mean, you go back to, all right, let's go back to ancient Greece. They didn't have watches. They didn't even know what time it is. I'll meet you in the evening. There's a couple hour window there. I'll meet you midday. That's what you have to say. You know, like, I'll meet you fucking midday. All right, maybe some there's some sundials somewhere when you're trying to get fucking precise. But even that, it's like a window and you're walking to the place or taking maybe if you have a horse, you're fucking lucky to take the horse or whatever. But you're walking and you're meeting roughly at midday, which means you may have hours to just sit down. And during those hours, what do you have to do? Well, you can't pull out your phone and check your fucking Instagram. You just got to be there and think about life or like maybe talk to somebody who's going along the way. Like that's just a totally different experience. It's a different way to live than we have where every second of the day is packed with some activity. And even, even for most of us, like we, we almost schedule out our, our alone time, our quiet time. It's like, okay, from 6 to 8 p.m., I'm going to put my phone down and I'm going to do this. <laughs> but that was just built into the system, you know? And I think we have to take those kind of equal opposing countermeasures 
to counterbalance the the kind of space that we need to just be present you know it's it's uh it's something that we have to do by choice against the resistance to to look at all of the the different things i mean i don't even take a shit without bringing my phone in there like <laughs> i don't know how bad i have to shit for me to go without my phone i mean it has to be a dire circumstance <laughs> you know, it has to be like i am going to shit my pants immediately or i will go find my phone first and then go into shit because the idea of sitting on the toilet with nothing to do is like i'm not gonna do that that's gonna... my me time i know i'm not taking the phone in there i'm going in there i get a fucking See, you're better three, man than me three, Kyle. Three, three minute meditation on the shitter <laughs> man than me. That's, that's that's my me time i think of that like walks you know like we we go for yeah. walks off in here we did one before the show that's like the low-hanging fruit it's it's Obviously, I mean, we, we walk so much in prior circumstances. You look at other cultures that walk more, they're healthier. But, you know, people get lost in the concept of meditation, quiet time, or do, do, do. But the happy, the happy medium is contemplation, mm-hmm. you know, and, and if you can do that appropriately from the space of stillness, you can kind of sort through the shit. So when you do lay down at night, you don't have a laundry list of things to think about in bed. Like sure. if that's the first time with yourself, you're fucked. Yep. You're not going to fall asleep on time because yep. you haven't sorted out the day. So I really like just getting outside, going for a walk. And, and sometimes I'll listen to Audible. Sometimes I'll listen to a podcast. But more often than not, I'm just just contemplating stuff that's going on and releasing what mm-hmm. I can't fucking fix or change in the moment. That's a really good point. Like I think so many people, all my mind races when I go lay down. Well, that's the first time you've not been distracted all day, bitch. What do you think is going to happen when you lay down? Of course, all the stuff that you've, it's been piling up is going to come and hit you right then you know but if you take the time throughout the day to journal to walk to kind of move through these thoughts to have those interesting conversations with people then you can lie down and have a greater sense of peace and whether you can sleep or not you know that's another another story depending on a variety of different factors but at least it'll release that anxiety that you have that comes from like okay everything stopped it's dark all it's just me with my thoughts now you know that's not a place that is conducive to anything productive no not at all i want to talk a bit about i know we got we got a short time here but i want to talk about the ceremony that happened after the ceremony yeah so uh you know ramdas says if you think you're enlightened and i don't but if you think you're enlightened spend a week with your family so chance would have it which there's no such thing that we were going to go on a family vacation for the first time with my wife and our son bear my mom, my sister and brother-in-law, and her three kids, which are all awesome, but also little hooligans like Bear. And we were all under one roof in Puerto Vallarta. So we literally flew back from San Jose, Costa Rica to San Jose, California, spent the night, the very next morning, drove to SFO and flew out of San Francisco to Puerto Vallarta, spent five days there with my family. After that trip, we flew back to San Francisco and the very next day started the podcast tour from Sacramento to San Diego. So it was nonstop for 28 fucking days. But being in this space of kind of that post-ceremony glow. Um, it's funny because, you know, I was so opened up. I was more receptive to shit. I was more receptive to things that I didn't like. They would stick out to me like a sore thumb, like, mm. like there was a highlighter going, highlighting every action that I that didn't resonate with me. And then at the same time, the ability to shift and kind of let go of that and just surrender to it was also present. But it was really fucking tough. It was really tough. We were all under one roof. We were in a big-ass suite, but still, you know, we all had our own beds and, I think the thing there was there was many things that were coming up for me and this isn't my uh time to talk shit about my family everyone has their own issues with their family but a lot on parenting you know the differences in how we parent our kids were were right in our face you know um namely sugar intake shit like that you know like we don't give bear garbage food because it, it's garbage and also it fucks up the way that they act you know yeah. it's like giving crack to a two-year-old right. so there was a lot of things like that and, and i think the beautiful thing that came from it was I was frustrated as fuck. There was times I was angered, you know, and I was button heads with my mom about it. Cause she's like, you're not going to change him in four days, Kyle. And I'm like, all right, I get it, mom, but fuck, you know? And mm. then, and then kind of releasing into that. And then also the understanding that this is not how I want to feel. This is not how I want to operate, you know? So just getting back to that, how much time do I spend in love versus in fear? Number one, everyone walks their own path. So I don't have to change them, right? They're not my kids. And that's the beautiful thing about having kids is you get to choose exactly how you want to raise them. Right. So uh, there was that the release into everyone walks their own path. And there was also this 
this this understanding that I don't have to feel that way, even if it bothers me, I don't have to live in that space, which I've done in the past on longer trips with my family. And that was probably one of the first times where I felt comfortable in the eye of the storm. So it was a huge fucking win, mm. you know? And then of course we went on this podcast trip, which was great, banged out I think 12 to 15 podcasts on other people's shows as well as mine. Also a lot of driving. We're driving this rapist van all over fucking California. <laughs> There's four of us in the car. Uh, we got the podcast equipment. It was a shit show, but you know, a lot of driving, a lot of podcasting. I had Montezuma's Revenge, which was a huge challenge for eight days. I was shitting my brains out, like four interviews in a day, and I'm running in between episodes to shit three or four times before the next episode starts. So you can tell, like if you're listening to the show, there's going to be a block of shows where I'm not myself. But the guests were the guests. They were great episodes. Mm -hmm. And in that experience, like the surrender to what is. You're, like, you're only good when your asshole is nice and relaxed. <laughs> when you're puckering, holding back that flood of shit. That's, that's, that's when you're at your best, Kyle. Yeah, you you got to release the sphincter. You to feel the tension in my voice. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Fucking voice is puckered up a little bit. Okay, we're running short on time here, <laughs> yeah. everybody. So it's thanks. great having you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I, there was so much to that. Also... 28 days on the road, you know, Damn. 28 days, not in my own bed, 28 days of international flights, driving hours at a time in a fucking shitty old van, um, and a grind in all of those. Like ayahuasca is inc incredibly challenging. It takes out, you know, it delivers more than it takes out, but physically it's demanding. Mm -hmm. And it's not like you're a spring chicken when it ends. It takes time to heal and recover from that and just bounce back to where you, you were before you went into it. Um, Mexico having the challenges that it had and the podcast trip. And also, you know, as much as I love our boy, Ryan Giles here, I'm with four people the entire trip in yeah. Cali. I'm with all my family. I'm with fucking everyone at Sultara. And we had four people in a room. It was me, Christian, Tosh, and Caitlin all in the same room, all sharing one bathroom. So the only way I could create space for myself was internally because there was no space. Then we had a couple of days where I got to go to the ocean and shit like that with three other people. But there was no like me time. There was no walk around on it for a mile by myself. And I think that was really cool to see how ayahuasca had put me in this place where I could appreciate just honing in within. You know, I could be on the couch, people are talking around me, and I can just find my own quiet center in that fucking nonstop 28 days of madness. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, the, there's certain things that we can control externally and certain things that we can't but what we can always control is our internal orientation to all of those external things you know like that's the that's the truest wisdom and those that's the wisdom that people typically get from extreme circumstances you know like concentration camp circumstances the ones that survive and you know able to live a life beyond those experiences are the ones that learn how to use that external point of resistance to hone their internal practice you know, like that's always the choice that we have. Like whatever shitty, quotes, shitty external circumstance or challenging external circumstance, you can make the choice to use that as the diamond grindstone to sharpen the sword of your awareness, consciousness, spirit, always, no matter what that is, whether that's a physical ailment, whether that's emotional challenge or mental challenge, like that is the heart of stoicism. It's not like, you know, it's embracing that and then creating the adaptation from that. And then that's, that's it. Like, that's how you level up so much faster. Or you just spend the time like, oh, I can't believe I'm not alone, blah, blah, blah. And you're in resistance, just like you, you were probably at that challenging ceremony three for the ayahuasca. Like, come on, I just want to go to bed. Come on, ayahuasca, are we really doing this? And finally, like, fine ayahuasca if i'm i'm not gonna sleep okay fine <laughs> you want to go through this again here let's fucking go like is this it like i'm i'm yours take me and then it's like nah butterflies <laughs> you're like oh god thanks <laughs> thanks all right that was all it took at 7 a.m <laughs> yeah at 7 a.m yeah that's the that's the that's the key so many so many keys and it's simple simple but hard simple but hard like if you had to describe the path of growth it's simple. The principles are simple, but the fucking process is a bitch. No doubt. <laughs> Always. No doubt. But when you look at the people who have really been willing to accept and embrace that that process, like there's a different there's a different 
characteristic about them there's like a different awareness like a different you can like look in their eyes and you know when they've when they've put themselves through that stuff you know there's just a sense of peace that you can feel around a human like that that's really gone into the shadows and reconciled their shit you know and you find at least i find myself having the affinity and enjoying being around people like that just so much more yeah they're like fucking gravitational suns you know they yeah. just suck you into their orbit yeah 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 and that's that's the invitation that we all have but it it's not going to come easy you know like you got to pay you got to pay all the all the prices <laughs> that that you that you have to to in order to get that but it's the reward is there it's instant for one you get the instant reward of surrender like like ted says what is surrender well surrender is where it's not hard anymore like that's when you know you've surrendered when you're not in resistance resistance is you know the resistance to the pain that you're feeling which creates the suffering there's always going to be pain but as soon as we get beyond that resistance well there's the instant reward and then there's also the the stoic values of the obstacle being the way the the challenge being the growth That's, that's the thing. That's, a, <laughs> that's the fucking thing. So what else, my man? Anything else? Uh, anything else been on your mind recently? Anything else that uh, you've been thinking about? Well, shit. Open relationship has been. Uh, it's been. This is the best period that it's been in ever. And mm-hmm. and you know it's funny because you think of like the the challenges that arise from it. Um, I can't think of anything more challenging than that that onboarding process um but where we're at now onboarding staying boarded deboarding whatever (laughs) boarding whatever whatever part of the process you're in fucking good luck yeah you know and so we had we had tasha's boyfriend there with us doing ayahuasca and and uh he's never been to california so he came out with us uh for the cali trip and actually on his birthday his 27th birthday he was out there um with us at Gabby Reese's house and Laird Hamilton's doing the XPT training and it was super cool. And we ate like shit on his birthday. So it was a great trip, but it it was really cool to look back on that and to see this is where we're at now, you know, like to know how hard it was to let him in and to feel comfortable around him and to actually build a relationship with him where now I can call on my friend and it's not lip service. Like I fucking believe that's my friend and I really enjoy my time with him. Um, also incredibly cool to see you know because bear didn't see him the whole time when we meet up with bear and christian wasn't there bear would ask about him it's like where's uncle christian my love uncle christian you know and it's mm-hmm. like fuck yeah man that's it that's mm-hmm. it right there that that little piece of that impact it's not just me you know it's the impact on tasha's life it's the impact on our son's life it's the impact on my life but it's all those things and it's our impact on his life like really seeing that from a bird's eye view and having gratitude for for where we're at now and also remembering how difficult it was to get there, you know, not just taking that for granted and being like, oh, this is great. You know, we, we talked with Paul Check on his podcast about it and um, briefly, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> we talked on his podcast about it. And, um, you know, I think Paul, Paul had the understanding, at least with, with one of the things that he brought up to me was, you know, we're we're big influencers people listen to us and there's a lot of young men that are following our shows and that's not me tooting my own horn that's just me saying like yeah man people are listening to this podcast we're having right now um so when we talk about these things it's not to say like yeah ayahuasca is for everyone open relationships for everyone like there's a great deal of commitment necessary to do that without fucking getting burnt and chewed up and spit out the other side but if you're ready for that and it is something that you find worthwhile like man i just don't know that I would have been taught the lessons I've been taught without it. No fucking chance. That I would, I would know have. myself. No right? chance. The way I that I know and, myself. And whether and whether this is something that you stick with, there's something that you use as a tool to learn and then transition from. All of these things are open, but there is no doubt that open relationship is one of the most challenging paths that anybody can walk. And with that comes the most rewarding lessons if you're willing to stick with it. And then from there, I think the really interesting question like maybe part one is just all right learn the lessons can i get over my insecurities can i get beyond my validations can i see somebody else as me living a different life can i actually practice compersion can i do these things that are of the highest octave of vibration possible for me you know that's part one and then i think asking the question all right is this bringing more 
good into the world or less? Is this about me being selfish or is this about me avoiding something or, or kind of distracting myself or is this actually bringing good into the world? And when I look at open relationships, I think you've had where you are now is one of the healthiest examples that I've ever seen because it's a virtuous cycle where you and Christian and Natasha are all collectively adding to each other and then adding to the collective, creating more space where he can watch Bear to give you and Natasha time to go out or give you time to go explore the things that you need to explore. Or Everything is like this tribal virtuosity where everybody is assisting in this common goal to raise a beautiful soul named Bear and also to enjoy and experience the maximum amount of pleasure. Plus, you got all the work that comes through it as well. But I think those two questions one are you ready for the deepest challenge and the opportunity to do the deepest work knowing that on some of these times you're gonna you're gonna actually pattern some trauma too and that trauma is going to take even more work to overcome because you're not going to ride that line of minimum effective dose <laughs> so that you get just the right amount the right amount of hormetic stressor you know like microdose yeah. uh, allowing my wife to have sex with yeah, someone fuck, else it's not gonna fucking <laughs> happen sometimes just tip. sometimes you're gonna get under that fucking squat bar and it's gonna be 700 pounds and it's just gonna collapse on you and it's gonna be friday fails on men's health you're just gonna <laughs> see yourself get fucking smashed and then it's gonna take some time to recover so know that it's not like yeah you have the challenges and you recover no sometimes you're gonna get a little fucked up but overall, you're going to get the opportunity to heal. And then once you heal, then you can look at it and be like, all right, are we bringing more good into the world or less? And I think as like I've matured in my understanding of that, like that's the question that moves forward. What is the greatest good for myself, my partner and the world? Like, and the world was a key thing for me to think about too. Like, is this advancing the greatest good for all? Yeah. And I think that's a really, really good kind of guidepost for what we're doing here erasing all of the other is there, i mean obviously we're, we're far beyond acknowledging the societal rules and the conditionings and all the blah 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 blah. but is this creating more good for the world more good for us or less and i really think that you guys have a, an example of creating more good yeah i believe that wholeheartedly talk a bit about uh i know we got to go here in a few minutes but talk a bit about what um uh, is it maria yeah what she told you because that resonated so strongly with me she had some amazing things. That was that was one of them, right? She's saying that people have different codes. Like imagine that your spirit or the the who you are, imagine it like a like a number code or like an intricate puzzle, right? And, and in a way that these codes that we all carry are individual, sovereign, unique codes. And then when you meet somebody else, your codes interlock. And when you have that opportunity for intimacy, and when those codes interlock, sometimes it's nothing. Sometimes they just kind of bump into each other and it's kind of fun and interesting, but the pieces don't fit. But sometimes the codes actually unlock a treasure greater than you would have been able to access or your other partner would have been able to access. And like those are those magical connections where just the experience of that intimacy unlocks something greater, which is now a treasure, which is now a gift that you can bring out into the whole world, you know, and like keeping an eye out for those like oh, are our codes going to create something that's even greater than what we could be capable of creating on our own? And again, it goes back to like, is this better for the world or not? You know, so that was like one thing where I was like, fuck, that's a really cool way to, to change the orientation to this. Is like, are these codes going to like increase the good of all? She had some other rad things too. I, got, I should mention the three things that she told me because... Um, the other one, which was really interesting is, is, you know, talking about, you know, you mentioned your family and you mentioned, we all have people who it's challenging to be around. We're, we're invested in them for whatever reason. They're an old friend. They're someone we work with. They're someone we know. And I mentioned that I was just like, you know, I just got to let it go, you know, because I was, you know, kind of internally frustrated that the persons that I was talking about, they weren't, they weren't growing at the way that I would have wanted them to. And they were, they were kind of stuck. And so I was like, oh, I'm just going to let it go. And she's like, you call yourself a leader? And I was like, well, you know, I try to be, so then you don't ever let it go. You leave a candle burning. 
for their potential and who they are. And you imagine them like, you don't have to go chasing them, but you imagine them like a picture of them in their highest potential and it's on your altar and that candle is always lit. So whenever they wanna come back home and find their way back home to that potential, you've never blown out that candle. You've never let it go. You've never cast them aside in judgment and move them out of your own mind because of your own selfish desire to be out of the discomfort of wanting them to be something else no you just keep the candle lit so that when they go to find their way home there's that warm candle and a hug waiting for them i was just like fuck okay thank you <laughs> and then she and she goes on drops one other bomb i'm just sitting there on the counter like looking at looking at her and she goes you know in this in uh we have this system of reward and punishment and it goes through our legal system it goes through the penal system she was talking about a tribe in west africa where the medicine woman in the tribe when a new child was born the medicine woman would channel the song of that child's soul the song of that child's spirit just like the shamans the maestros channel the songs of the plants the medicine woman would channel the song of that new child's soul and teach it to the whole tribe and then the whole tribe would sing that child's song at birth and then at key points in the child's life re-sing that song the whole child would sing that song but instead of punishment let's say somebody stole something or somebody you know assaulted somebody or somebody committed some kind of crime instead of some punishment or some exile they would sit in the middle of the entire tribe and the entire tribe would sing the song of that person's soul and just keep singing the song of that person's soul until that person was reminded who they truly are I was like, damn, like that's, that's a whole other way to look at it. That's, that's a whole new orientation because really all the things that we're doing is a denial of who we truly are. I don't believe that people come out bad. I don't believe that people have these tendencies. Like you're always going to be a criminal. You're always going to be that. Like there's a part of you that is always connected to source, connected to the divine, always true. And if we can be reminded of that through people leaving our candles lit or leaving other people's candles lit as paul selig says like seeing them for the truth of who they are you know praying for them as if they're already there not hoping that they become there which carries a judgment which is you know what he calls putting them in the cave judging them as not being quite there yet but seeing them in their highest potential and singing their song until they know the words that's that's the transformative shit that happens so that was a really cool fucking experience I had where I was like, just lit, I mean, literally just open mouth, like moist eyes, like, okay, take me to school more. <laughs> You're like, teach me more, Maria. So that was a, that was a really cool experience I had recently. Hell yeah, brother. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, you telling that to me really touched me too in many ways. Yeah. And I could see how our codes have linked up, you know, mm -hmm. between Christian, Tosh, and Bear, you know, like our, there's no doubt every single one of us is better for what we've done thus yeah. far. Every one of us lives better. Every one of us is happier. Every one of us is more fulfilled. And it took a lot of fucking work to get there, but it's a fucking beautiful place to be in. Yep. No doubt. Yeah, buddy. Well, my brother, always a pleasure. Um, everybody listening, check out the Kyle Kingsbury podcast. It's your own show now. Fuck yeah. It's fucking, I wouldn't, I don't like listening to anybody more than listening to you. So I encourage everybody else to do the same. Thank you, brother. Check that shit out, for sure. I love you, man. I love you too, brother. Thanks <laughs> for having me. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to the podcast with Kyle. Make sure you check out the Kyle Kingsbury podcast. He's got a lot of amazing guests, particularly focused on health and physical optimization, but of course, covering the full gamut of experience, as me and Kyle like to do. I also want to mention that for those of you who are interested in your own ayahuasca retreat, I have no affiliations with any organization. But I only have personal experience with Spirit Quest Sanctuary, which is at biopark.org, which is Don Howard's facility, the legacy of Don Howard, the great Wachumero and Ayahuasquero, who works with Don Robert, Doña Eliana, and practices medicine at the highest level. That's down in Peru. So I encourage you guys to check that out, as well as, of course, Soltara, if you like the story from Kyle. And then there's also Blue Morpho and Rhythmia, which both are excellent options. So please check that out if you're interested. And again, ayahuasca isn't for everybody, so only respond to a true calling, do your research, and check it all out. Thanks so much, everybody.